welcome back to Perfect Shadows. It's been quite a long time since our last episode, and I'd like to apologize for essentially falling off the face of the earth. A lot has changed, so let me give you a quick update. During our last few episodes, I promised myself I would set out to find a new job. My days consisted of going to work in the morning and spending the next few hours combing through job listings and applying. A few months and over 300 applications later, plus with some help from a Daruma doll and a Phoenix Wright figure, I finally landed a challenging but amazing position as a paralegal at a wonderful place and I'm enjoying it tremendously. At about the same time, I began school again with an ambitious full 16-unit schedule. These episodes take their time, from planning, to finding and reading sources, to writing, recording, and editing. With all the new things I was learning at work and school, my brain just wanted to relax with some video games. I replayed Judgment, just finished Yakuza 7, and started Assassin's Creed Valhalla during my downtime. So this brings us to mid-December. I was able to get all A's this quarter and figured I could use the break between fall and winter to crank out an episode, and here we are. Going forward, the episodes will come out when I can get to them. I don't want to commit to any timetables because who knows how busy I'll be this quarter, but I promise I'll do my best to not have such a long break in between again. Now, when last we left off, I was in the midst of playing Ghost of Tsushima. It was only natural I'd want to do a series on some samurai. The problem is, the Heian period starts in the late 8th century, and the samurai grow in power and last up until the 19th century and I absolutely love much of this period. So how the hell am I supposed to pick a single person? I looked through my books and figured, well, let's do an episode or two on the tale of the Heiki then. So I figured I'd watch the 50 episode NHA drama on Taira no Kiyomori to supplement the story, but had to stop a quarter of the way through due to schoolwork. Once Thanksgiving hit, I tried again to outline an episode on the Genpei War, but every time I started at one conflict, I felt like I'd have to make a separate episode for a preceding conflict, then another episode for an important figure, then another for his family, and before I knew it, a one or two episode series turned into something closer to six to ten, a road which, in good faith, I cannot commit myself to start at this time. We'll cover the Fujiwara, the Minamoto, the Taira, the Hogan Disturbance, the Heiji Rebellion, and the Genpei War at some other time. I looked instead toward the Sengoku Jedi, to find a single person I could focus on without needing tons of backstory, and it is there that I decided to start with Oda Nobunaga, the first of Japan's three great unifiers. We'll leave the other two for a future series, as I have a feeling with my current plane of Assassin's Creed Valhalla, the next figure we'll explore will be a Viking or something. Anyway, here's the first part of our series on Oda Nobunaga, subtitled, The Unification of Owari. So let's start with a bit of background as to where we're landing in history. We're squarely in 16th century Japan, a land which has, for about four centuries, been solely controlled by a warrior class. Following the conclusion of the Genpei War in 1185, Minamoto no Yoritomo emerged victorious over both the Taira clan and his own family to have himself declared shogun, formally establishing the feudal samurai caste system which would last clear into the 19th century. Now the title of shogun had been used before, but it was more of an honorary title without any political power. Yoritomo changed this when he established the Kamakura shogunate. Now the position of shogun began to have some real political power to it eating away at, and eventually stripping the emperor and his court of their power, and relegating them to a ceremonial position. Conflicts would arise between the shogun and the emperors, with both sides vying for influence wherever possible. The Kamakura shogunate fell about a century after the Mongol invasions of the 13th century. The next shogunate, the Ashikaga, would hold power until the Onin War in the mid-15th century. So the Onin War kicks off what would come to be known as the Sengoku Jedi, or Warring States Period the heyday of famous samurai clans battling it out for supreme control of Japan. If you've ever played Shogun Total War, you definitely know what I'm talking about. This is the time of Takeda Shingen, Yosugi Kenshin, Mori Motonari, Date Masamune, Imagawa Yoshimoto, Kinoshita Tokichido, wink wink, Matsudaida Motoyasu, wink wink, and tons of other supporting characters. I'm hoping to eventually do episodes on most of these guys. They have great rivalries, crazy vassals, 
and they're full of action and political intrigue. That should be enough background for now, but I'll add tidbits here and there if we need it during the main story. Oda Keposhi, who would later be known as Nobunaga, was born in 1534 to Oda Nobuhide, the leader of the Oda clan of Awari province in central Japan, pretty much where modern-day Nagoya is. The Oda clan could trace their origins back to the famous Taira family of the 13th century. Owari would prove to be an ideal spot. Apart from its excellent agricultural output, it's close enough to march to the capital, but also far enough to not get sucked into the capital's fear of influence. Growing up, he was known as the great fool of Owari for his weird behavior. He also liked to run amok with the peasant kids, something quite uh, unbecoming for a young lord. At the age of 13, he was considered an adult and exchanged the name of Kaposhi for Oda Saburo Nobunaga. He was sent to follow his father, whose dream it was to unite all of Awari province on campaign against Saito Doran, the Viper of Mino, a campaign which would not end very well for the Oda. On top of that, Nobunaga seemed to like dressing effeminately and screwing around with his friends more than learning how to rule, something which pissed off not only his father but embarrassed his father's retainers, especially Hirate Masahide, a man who was essentially Nobunaga's teacher, mentor, and surrogate father. Here was the heir, the future leader of the Oda clan, worrying more about the cut of his kimono than the life-or-death matters of war. In order to buy some time, Nobuhide married his son off to Saito Kicho, daughter of the Viper of Mino, at the age of 14. It was also around this time of the 1540s that firearms were brought to Japan for the first time by Portuguese traders. Contrary to the attitude of most lords of the time, Nobunaga was attracted to these weapons and their potential. He would come to be one of the first to incorporate their usage into his tactics, ordering 500 Tanagashimas, which were... Arcubusai? Arcubuses. For his armies. Keep in mind, up to this point, Japanese warfare essentially consisted of archers and hand-to-hand combat. Suddenly, the introduction of firearms, although expensive and finicky, could undoubtedly provide an advantage on the battlefield. Giving an idea of their effect, here's a quote from a Joseon official writing about the invasion of Korea in 1592. Quote, Everything was swept away. Within a fortnight or a month, the cities and fortresses were lost, and everything in the eight directions had crumbled. Although it was partly due to there having been a century of peace and the people not being familiar with warfare that this happened, it was really because the Japanese had the use of muskets that could reach beyond several hundred paces, that always pierced what they struck, that came like the wind and the hail, and with which bows and arrows could not compare. End quote. Anyway, we're getting ahead of ourselves a bit. In 1551, when Nobunaga was around 17 years old, his father Nobuhide suddenly died. Although Nobunaga was the appointed heir, the clan still had to evaluate the candidates for successor and their choice had to be ratified by Nobunaga's grandfather, Nobusada, who was still alive. Nobunaga's position was not guaranteed. Due to his unpredictable and rude behavior, he was known as what we would call today a little shit. He did himself no favors either with the little stunt he pulled shortly after at his father's funeral, where Danny Champlin writes that, quote, He showed up late and improperly dressed, and refusing to approach the altar and pay his respects by lighting an incense stick. Instead, muttering curses against his late father, he snatched a handful of incense and flung it at the altar wall. To the consternation of the assembled guests, some of the thrown incense tumbled into the urn containing his late father's ashes. Because of this incident, many Oda retainers were led to question young Nobunaga's sanity, let alone his ability to govern the clan. Indeed, it appeared that Nobuhide's worst fears concerning his son's unstable character had been vindicated. If Nobunaga was considered difficult and volatile, then his younger brother, Nobuyuki, was, by contrast, the paragon of youthful responsibility, end quote. Rather than view this debacle as a come-to-Jesus moment, wink, wink, Nobunaga continues screwing around with his friends, including Masahida's son, wrestling, horseback riding, practicing archery, and using these new firearms we mentioned earlier, much to the chagrin of the older clan retainers. 
1553, Nobunaga faced his first military test. Some of his father's vassals rebelled and joined the Imagawa, a major rival of the Oda clan. Nobunaga rode out to meet them in battle and got his ass kicked. Casualties were high and the battle ended in a draw, but perhaps the biggest loss was the loss of his mentor, Hirate Masahide. Chaplin writes, quote, Deeply disenchanted, Masahide committed seppuku, having first written an impassioned letter to Nobunaga, urging him to amend his undisciplined ways for the greater good of the clan. It was performed in accord with one of the well-codified rubrics of Harakiri. Hirata's specific variety of ritual suicide was that known as kanshi, a suicide that was undertaken to protest the delinquent actions of another person, usually the man's daimyo. It was regarded as an especially high-minded form of self-slaughter. Hirata's suicide letter to Nobunaga contained the simple remonstration, I have failed in my purpose. What reason is there for me to remain alive? End quote. Although the Oda elder retainers continued their grumbling and slight preference for his younger brother, Nobunaga was eventually confirmed as the leader of the Shobata Oda, causing an open war as the Kiyoso Oda attacked some castles and took hostages. Wait, what the hell? Where the Shobata and Kiyosu come from? Alright, so perhaps I should have mentioned this earlier, but really, this is why I've been so hesitant to do episodes on Japanese history, even though it's probably my favorite. There's tons of family branches, names, and oftentimes, without a flowchart in front of you, really easy to get lost. My bad, but I'm trying to keep this as simplified as possible without losing any listeners or juicy storylines. So, real quick, the province of Awari was essentially divided up into separate districts, ruled by separate factions of the Oda clan. The Iwakura Oda ruled the four upper districts from Iwakura Castle. The Kiyosu Oda ruled the four lower districts from Kiyosu Castle. Further complicating things, the Kiyosu Oda had three more branches, and it is from these subsidiaries that the Shobata Oda come from. So we now have a bit of a civil war within the Oda clan. Nobunaga set out directly to Kiyosu Castle and won a battle at a nearby village before heading to the castle. He didn't capture the castle, but instead wanted to make a point. He reached Kiyosu Town and burned the farmland and houses before turning back. The inhabitants of Kiyosu Castle suddenly grew worried that maybe they had underestimated Nobunaga. Maybe he was a little bit more than an arrogant fop after all. But not everyone was convinced, especially his father-in-law, Saito Dosan, the Viper of Mina. Saito decided to find out once and for all if Nobunaga was as foolish as his reputation had suggested and invited him to meet. So Nobunaga agrees and heads to town of Tomita for the meeting. Saito wants to get the measure of his son-in-law beforehand, so he hides in a hut and watches him arrive. He's not impressed. Although his troops look impressive enough, including some interesting spears, Nobunaga himself looks sloppy and messy. Picture Saito as some upper-crust gentleman and Nobunaga looking like a frail and dirty grunge fan on a horse. Saito rushes back to the meeting spot in time to await Nobunaga's entrance. Nobunaga arrives and gets ready. Once he enters, Chaplin writes, quote, Saito Dosan and his followers could only gape in astonishment. Gone was the shabby roadside Nobunaga. That appearance had all been a clever ruse. He was now transformed from a carefree youth into the very picture of a poised and purposeful daimyo. His hair had been shaved, oiled, and elegantly gathered into a topknot. The chanmage of a true samurai. His grubby kimono had been exchanged for an expensive silk kimono, and he carried at his hip an heirloom set of daisho smelted by a master craftsman. The artifice of his carefully contrived act had taken Saito entirely aback. He quickly realized that he was not dealing with a young fool, after all. End quote. So Nobunaga had essentially been maintaining a ruse to further lead others into underestimating him as foolish. The meeting, or formal affair, went on in the usual manner. Saito did offer his troops to help Nobunaga, but he politely declined, stating the quarrel was domestic in nature and should be handled without outside help, an answer which impressed Saito. At the meeting's conclusion, Saito rode along with Nobunaga in order to speak to him informally. 
When Saito asked about the long spears he had witnessed, Nobunaga replied that these yari, essentially 20-foot long pikes, gave his men an advantage in being able to stab enemy soldiers who traditionally carried much shorter spears. Viper of Mino was suitably impressed and never again made plans to attack Owari province. On his return to Nagoya Castle, Nobunaga learned some disturbing news. His uncle, Oda Nobutomo, and Sakai Daizen, the true power behind Kiyoso Castle, had planned to assassinate Nobunaga and have him replaced with his younger brother, Nobuyuki. When a vassal learned of the plot, he sent a warning with his son to Nobunaga. Upon discovering the vassal's betrayal, Nobunaga's uncle had him executed. Nobunaga set out once again to Kiyoso Castle, easily winning a battle outside the walls thanks to the extra-long yari of his troops. Now Nobunaga again did not assault the castle itself for a number of reasons. He did not want to lose too many men, and he wanted to own the castle, not destroy it. Kiyosu Castle had served as the official seat of government for Lower Owari for generations, and Nobunaga essentially wanted to move in, and so he sat down to create a plan to capture the castle. Or at least he tried to, because at that moment his father's old enemy, Imagawa Yoshimoto, decided to mosey on in and start attacking some castles near Nobunaga's borders. In order to meet this new challenge, Nobunaga had to do something which pissed off some of his older retainers. Ask for help from the Viper of Mino, Owari's old enemy. He asked for some assistance in holding down the areas around Nagoya Castle and Saito obliged. The Hayashi brothers, two of Nobunaga's oldest retainers, were so pissed off at the sight of Saito's troops on Owari soil, they refused to even take the field when ordered. Now Nobunaga would deal with this later, but for now, he moved his armies north to fight the Imagawa. Chaplin writes, quote, the Battle of Meraki perhaps revealed for the first time the true extent of Oda Nobunaga's flair for warfare. Not only had the amphibious landing in Chita district been managed with great organizational aplomb, but his assault on Meraki castle showcased techniques that he would later use to great effect. At Meraki we see the use of coordinated rote loading and reloading of arquebuses to maintain a constant rate of fire on the enemy embrasures. We encounter Nobunaga's natural ability to inspire his troops in battle. The vigor with which the Oda forces assaulted Meraki Castle astounded the defenders to such an extent that when Nobunaga offered them terms, they readily accepted. The following day, he assaulted Teramoto Castle, torching it to the ground and giving the Hanai clan an object lesson in the consequences of disloyalty. End quote. Now that the Amagawa situation was dealt with, Nobunaga returned to finally stamp out the ashes of rebellion in Kiyosu Castle. He reached out to his other uncle, Nobumitsu, and promised him two of the lower Owari districts if he helped retake the castle. Nobutomo and Sakai Daizen had reached out to Nobumitsu and offered some land if he would betray Nobunaga. Nobumitsu pretended to agree, and his army was allowed into Kiyosu Castle. Just before Nobumitsu opened the gates for Nobunaga, Sakai had a bad feeling about everything and decided to flee the castle, seeking asylum with Imagawa Yoshimoto up north. With the gates open, Nobunaga's army entered the castle and were able to defeat Nobutomo's forces. Nobutomo himself was ordered to commit seppuku on the spot by Nobumitsu's samurai. Nobunaga now owned Kiyosu Castle, just as he wanted. So Nobunaga moves his family into the Spiffinu Castle, leaving Nagoya Castle to his uncle Nobumitsu, along with the promised districts from Lower Owari. Not a bad deal, right? Except the districts weren't exactly under Nobunaga's complete control, and they were bordered by two of their worst enemies. So Nobumitsu was understandably more than a little irate until... he suddenly died a few months later. This was a sudden stroke of good luck for Nobunaga. Not only was his scheming uncle dead, who, if he had joined forces with Nobuyuki, may have been unbeatable. But now the two lower Owari districts all fell back under Nobunaga's control. Now I'm not saying Nobunaga had him killed, but maybe he had him killed. Rumors persisted, reaching as far as Nobuyuki's ears, which scared the younger brother into thinking he may be the next target. So another uncle of Nobunaga's named Nobutsugu was entrusted with Moriyama Castle, a stronghold pretty close to Nagoya Castle, while Nagoya Castle itself was given to a retainer named Hayashi Hidesada. The following year, however, 
Things became dicey once again for the Oda clan. Chaplin writes, quote, Nobutsugu was out riding and hunting with his retainers near the Shonai River at Moriyama Castle when an unidentified man rode past without dismounting to pay his respects. In response to this show of impudence, one of Nobutsugu's followers shot an arrow in the man's direction which struck and killed him. When they inspected the man's corpse, however, Nobutsugu found to his horror that they had killed his own nephew, Nobunaga's 15-year-old brother, Hidetaka. Fearing Nobunaga's retribution, Nobutsugu immediately fled Owari. Learning of the accidental killing, Nobuyuki marched his retainers from Suemori Castle to Moriyama Castle and fired the surrounding town. When Nobunaga heard what had happened, he too rode to Moriyama Castle and ruled that Hidetaka, not Nobutsugu, had been at fault because he had ridden abroad without his retainers and had neglected to identify himself to his uncle. Tempers flared, however, as both Nobunaga and Nobuyuki now tried to move their respective troops into the newly vacated Moriyama Castle. At the suggestion of Nobunaga's retainer, Sakuma Nobumori, the impasse was resolved by allowing their younger half-brother, Oda Nobutoki, to assume control of the castle instead. Nobunaga then returned to Kiyosu Castle, his younger brother's defiance not having gone unnoticed. End quote. I know, I know, it's a ton of names and Nobu-somethings, but we're almost done with these guys. So we see Nobuyuki is starting to try and make a move for supreme control of the Oda clan. In 1556, this becomes a full-blown rebellion, with Nobuyuki peeling off with some important retainers, such as Nagoya Castle's Hayashi. Hayashi was especially notable as he was an elder retainer, one who had even served as Nobunaga's childhood guardian. A vote of no confidence from him sent a strong message throughout the clan. This plot had been in the making for quite some time. Even before the rebellion, Hayashi's brother had suggested assassinating Nobunaga upon one of his visits to Nagoya Castle. Nobuyuki set out to start severing Nobunaga's lines of communication from his stronghold at Kiyosu Castle, including killing his half-brother Nobutoki, the man who had been placed in charge of Moriyama Castle. Nobuyuki also takes over some of Nobunaga's personal lands as a giant F.U. Nobunaga begins building fortifications in the surrounding areas in order to restrict the rebels' troop movement across the rivers. I want to use some more of Chaplin's text here, as it gives a brief but interesting look at the traditional method of one-on-one -on -one samurai warfare that was starting to become outdated at this point. He writes, Quote, Nobunaga went to the village of Nazuka on the banks of the Odai River and began the construction of some fortifications there which would restrict the rebels' ability to cross to his side. The following day, Shibata and Mimasaka attacked his position with 1,700 men. Nobunaga advanced with 700 of his own, and on the 24th day of the 8th month, the two sides clashed at a small hamlet called Ino. Here, despite their numbers, the rebels were roundly defeated. The fight had deteriorated into a series of vicious one-on-one -on -one contests in which the commanders themselves participated. The Shincho Koki records that the head of Kamata Suke no Jo was taken by Suda Moitsuki. The head of Tomino Sagai no Shin was taken by Takabatake Sanemon. The head of Yamaguchi Matajiro was taken by Kimata Rokuro Saburo. The head of Hashimoto Juzo was taken by Sakumo Daigaku. And the head of Sunoda Shingo was taken by Matsuura Kamisuke. It was during the Battle of Ino that Nobunaga struck down Hayashi Mimasaka and personally took his head. Shibata Katsuie, or Ganraku as he was familiarly known, fought hard before retiring wounded from the field. The Shinsho Koki records that, after the battle, there were more than 450 heads in all, including those of Owaki Torazo, Kobe Heishiro, and many other samurai of high standing. End quote. As an aside, traditionally the winners of these duels would collect the heads so they could present them to their lord at the end of the battle and receive a sort of bonus payment depending on the prestige of the person they had killed. So anyways, Nobunaga wins here, and Nobuyuki... Hayashi and the others are forced to run home to Mom's castle, while Nobunaga laid siege to both her castle and Nagoya castle. She demands that they come to an arrangement and end the fighting, but, as they were too afraid of Nobunaga's wrath, they made her go out and negotiate. 
And you can almost picture them like scared children hiding behind their mother and whining, But mom, he hit me. While Nobunaga, the older brother, looks on in anger. Anyway, Nobunaga says he'll spare them if they shave their heads and apologize directly to him. They do so at Kiyosu Castle, and Nobunaga not only forgives them, but also gives them back their former positions within the clan's leadership. Rather than take this second chance to become a valuable ally to his brother, Nobuyuki continues to act like a scheming little shit. Chaplin writes, quote, Nobuyuki, however, acted neither defeated nor penitent. Protected by his mother, he continued to scheme behind his brother's back. But when he confided in Shibata his intention to rebel again, the latter was appalled. End quote. Side note, Shibata Gunraku was one of the original retainers who Nobuyuki peeled off with Hayashi. I just didn't want to keep throwing names at you guys unless absolutely necessary. Back to Chaplin. Quote, Gunraku was fearless in battle, a warrior whose purpose built for the gory trade of combat. But Nobunaga's recent clemency had touched him as uncommonly even-handed. Nobunaga could, after all, just as easily have had Shibata crucified, a common samurai execution. Gunraku had therefore abandoned all further thoughts of rebellion, pledging instead to redeem himself by devoting his life to serving Nobunaga. Shibata informed Nobunaga of Nobuyuki's intentions. Resolved to settle the problem of his wayward brother once and for all, Nobunaga lured Nobuyuki and his retainers to Kiyosu Castle under the pretense that he was mortally ill and close to death. When Nobuyuki approached Nobunaga's supine body, confident that his time had come, his brother suddenly sat bolt upright in perfect health, which was the agreed signal for his retainer, Kawajiri Hidetaka, to enter the room and strike Nobuyuki down. The fratricide harmed Nobunaga's reputation in the short term and no doubt earned him the frosty enmity of his mother, but in the final analysis, it was an altogether necessary measure. End quote. So Nobunaga pulls a Michael Corleone on Nobuyuki's Fredo and, to be honest, he had it coming. His father's dream of united Awari is still not complete, however. One of his cousins, Nobukata, is in command of Iwakura Castle, and when Nobunaga demands he gives it up, Nobukata tells him to kick rocks. Imagawa Yoshimoto is also still a major force in many parts of Owari. And as if this wasn't enough, Nobunaga's father-in-law is retiring, and his son is eyeing northern Owari. Luckily for Nobunaga, the viper Amino is able to block his son from trying anything for now, reminding him that his sister is Nobunaga's wife. However, the relationship there is also beginning to fray. Although his legitimate wife, she has not been able to produce any sons for Nobunaga. She starts to fall out of favor with him. Nobunaga instead falls in love with one of his concubines, named Kitsuno. This relationship produces two illegitimate sons, Nobutada and Nobukatsu, and a daughter named Toku. Sadly, Kitsuno dies at 29 from complications due to pregnancy. Chaplin writes, quote, It is said that Nobunaga mourned her through the night and had her remains buried in the cemetery at the Ikoma family temple of Kiyoshoji. He had upgraded her status from concubine to wife so that her two male children would have legitimacy as his heirs. Despite her status as a concubine, it is speculated that Kitsuno nevertheless held a slightly higher status than Nobunaga's first wife, Nohime, a fact which could not have made for an especially harmonious household. End quote. Without muddying the waters too much, Nobunaga had other sons with other concubines. One of these, Nobutaka, is said to have been born just before Nobukatsu. Nobunaga is said to have known about the later birth but did not act on it, perhaps because he loved Kitsuno so much. This would come to a head later when the clan would have to decide which son would become the clan's leader, but that's another tale for another time. So in 1558, Nobunaga set his sights on his cousin Nobukata at Iwakura Castle. They met in battle at a nearby town, and once again, I'll quote a passage from Chaplin which shows the ways the old methods of warfare were quite literally clashing with the new ways. He writes, quote, The battle lasted several hours and was the occasion for a famous duel between Nobunaga's gunnery instructor, Hashimoto Ipa, and a famous enemy archer named Hayashi Yashichiro. Yashichiro wounded Ipa with an arrow, but the latter still managed to load and get off a shot from his teppo, which knocked an archer to the ground. 
one of Nobunaga's pages then finished Yashichiro off with his sword. The new technology had met with the old technology and had prevailed, a sign of things to come. Nobukata's troops were routed, and over 1,250 heads were taken that day. End quote. Nobunaga would come back in 1559 and take the castle once and for all, formally crushing all opposition from within the Oda clan. He mounted some minor campaigns to wrest control from various small-time barons and Buddhist temples that controlled minor areas, all of which were successful. Oda Nobunaga had finally completed his father's dream and united Owari province under his clan's sole rule. So that's the first part of our series on Oda Nobunaga. I feel like this might take two episodes or so to finish up, but we'll see how it goes. School starts tomorrow, but I'll be sure to make an effort to get an episode going again without such a long break in between. Thanks again to everyone who still listens. As always, I'll have a couple of pictures of young Nobunaga as played in some dramas on our Instagram, at Perfect Shadows Podcast, and you can check out the sources used at our website, perfectshadowspodcast.com. Thanks again, everyone. Happy New Year, and I hope to talk to you again sooner rather than later. Thank you.